we have, um, we, have an, we have a matter that needs to be addressed. And we are thankful for the little ones that God has blessed us with. But as elders and as pastors, we have been praying at length on how to address a matter that has kind of bubbled up and risen in our church. We have attempted in gracious, kind ways, and Pastor Stewart has announced, and Pastor Aaron has announced, and at some level, for some reason, and I want to be really gracious here, announcements have been falling on deaf ears. So we have another... Uh, opportunity to hear the same thing again and hopefully a little louder or a little clearer. God has blessed Big Woods with a number of young families and with those young families our little ones, our babies and toddlers and little ones in junior church and we rejoice in that and we thank the Lord for that. Many churches do not have this situation. <clears throat> However, it is no secret, it's no surprise that we have kind of put out pleas and calls and cries that we need more child care workers. I understand that this can be a challenging ask for many, but let me remind you of this. Pastor Aaron is teaching a new members class for six weeks, and he specifically, I think there's nine or ten new families in that class, specifically speaks to members about The fact that it's not, are you going to be serving in a ministry at Big Woods, but what ministry will you be serving in a Big Woods? Because as members, part of the body of Christ, we serve together. This is our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we are expected, all of us, all of us, to carry some of the burden. Um, And we do not in, in any way, ever, 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 and please don't misunderstand me, consider children to be a burden. They are the greatest blessing. We know that Christ says, let all the little ones come, and that's what we want. But I have to be honest, we are wearing out a limited number of child care workers right now. Let me give to you just briefly, um, and I had these just this week. Um, so they are fresh numbers from Pastor Stewart, Pastor of Family Ministries. Just from fifth grade and down in the past month, we've ministered to 75 different children. That's just fifth grade and down. That's not including a one or throughout the course of the week. That's on a Sunday. First grade and down, there's 65 different children we've ministered to in the last month. 75 under fifth grade, 65 under first grade, 35 children in nursery age, which is birth to three years old. 35 children from birth to three years old. And we praise God for that. And we rejoice that the last count, I think I, I heard somewhere, we have seven or eight babies kind of on the way right now. Praise God for that. But we have to be reminded of the responsibility here. And I speak first and foremost to our members. You are a member of Big Woods Bible Church. Secondly, I think of grandmothers. Historically, what a great opportunity for you to serve in that capacity. Last Thursday, we had our adventures in motherhood, um, 11 o'clock on a Thursday morning. I actually was scheduled to speak at a funeral that exact hour, else I would have been able to help. And I was given a report that Pastor Aaron and Evelyn Gindin had 18 children 
and that's just nursery age. Now, let me, let me be honest, that's not a great model for us. So, so what, do we do? what do we do with that? I think at some level, to be perfectly honest, as your shepherd, as your pastor, it's, it's enough of, well, I don't really like sticky fingers, okay? So we're going to let someone else do that. We can't just push it off to someone else anymore. So, so what I'm asking is this. After the service, Pastor Stewart and some others will be at a, a big table. If you're not signed up right now in some capacity to serve in child care and you're a member of Big Woods Church, then you need to go to that table. Understand, and for our young ones that are here, there is a process of background checks. We are very thorough as far as state, local, all the way up to the FBI. Background checks to make sure that there is a process in place that keeps our children safe. But can I tell you with as much love as I can possibly say, we cannot continue. We're not at the point of critical mass to continue on, okay? We have got to address this. And so please understand that out of love and care and concern, we are blessed with a wonderful problem, but it is a problem that we must address as a church. First and foremost, members, okay? Secondly, if you're not a member and you've been attending over six months, okay, still you can serve, okay? Uh, we have a process in place to make sure that our children are always safe. But I do want to kind of begin, we actually, think about this, we actually had to, to cancel other announcements this morning so that we would be able to give time to this. Elders have talked about, we'll shut the coffee bar down if need be, if there's not enough people to serve back there, because it's far more important for us to care for our little ones than for you to have a cup of coffee. And it hurts to say that. So please understand the spirit by which I come to you with that if you are not serving, you need to be. So with as much love, hear my honest admonishment. Now, we may take our Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 6 as we dive into the Word of God this morning. Stuart, expect a long line of people to greet you in the back lobby after church. <clears throat> Before we begin, we need to pray. I was reading this week in preparation for our text in Genesis chapter 6, Noah and the Ark. And I was thinking about the little ones and even my responsibility to talk with you. I read this week of John Holtke who said this, Noah and the Ark is not a children's story. It's one of the most terrifying and tragic stories of God's wrath in the Bible. He referred to it as an aquatic holocaust. And in a sense, like, oh, we love our children, and by the way. Now, John Piper, on the other hand, kind of argues friendly disagreement. He said, I, I actually disagree with that. John Piper says this, and I quote, in a sense, this is a children's story because its lessons are plain enough for a child to understand. God hates sin, and God punishes unrepentant sinners. And so at some level, we understand that this is not a pleasant message, but it is a simple message of necessary truth. So keep those kind of things in your mind as we prepare to look at Scripture this morning. Before we go any further, I need 
the Lord's guidance and help this morning in prayer. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we love you and we thank you even as we lifted up our voices in song of your goodness. And at some level, it's hard for us humanly to fathom that with the fact that you are also a God who punishes unrepentant sin and a God of just wrath. And so as we, Lord, have your word open before us, your spirit is present, we we ask for help as as we learned this morning. I, I plead for the right words, the right tone, for accuracy, relevancy, and clarity in the preaching of your word this morning. So as mentioned, we lift up Brandon today as he preaches at Maranatha. And we just pray, Lord, for him and pray for our brothers and sisters in that church as well. Help us, Lord, to, to serve you well today. Or we admit and confess that we live in a world that is in desperate need. And so we have in front of us good news. And Lord, help us to understand it well so we can communicate it loud. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing unto you. O Lord, we ask this in the amazing and matchless and wonderful name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, the Messiah. Amen and amen. As bad as our world is today, as dark as our world might be today, you can be assured of this. It still does not compare to the pre-flood time. Now, there's little doubt we examine and we talk about this hard, but our ways, my ways, are selfish. Our personalities are bent towards sin, and our heart, Scripture says, is desperately wicked. But it cannot be said at this moment, at least not right now, it cannot be said that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually as we introduced chapter 6 in verse 5 it cannot be said there's good people still doing good things following an amazing lord by way of just kind of review where we have covered so far if you recall not only the wickedness of man's hearts had run so totally rampant but in addition to that a thorough we kind of looked at this a demonization had taken place What I believe in examined and taught that the sons of God are fallen angels, demons, had taken control of and possessed the bodies of men. So they married the daughters of men, what producing such rank violence and such evil that God actually decided, and it's hard to even fathom, God decided to wipe the face of the world clean, except for one man and one family. Hughes calls it, Ken Hughes calls it a kind of decreation prior to recreation. So thankfully, in the midst of this darkness, there is hope. There is help. There is what? There is, there is light. There is a plan and there is a plum promise. All of it flowing from verse 8. But Noah found favor or grace in the eyes of of the Lord. And last week we looked a little bit closer and we examined what it means. 
to be righteous and blameless and walking with God as Noah was described. And we learned that it's really what? It's grace upon grace. It was not because of Noah's righteousness that he was chosen, but rather he was chosen for righteousness. Likewise, you and I, what? Our good works, and there are many of them, will not save. But rather, because we are saved, there will be good works. And then finally last week, we looked at what this arrow pointing to the future in verse 10. The names of Noah's three sons. It points towards what? A future, a covenant, a promise, a covenant of grace. And ultimately, it points to, as we know what, the new covenant, where our only hope for forgiveness from our sins and reconciliation with our creator will be through Jesus' death and shed blood on the cross. Remember this, as we dive into this, we love the personal stories. We love what the character, we love to focus on Noah, the person. But let me remind you, we must focus on God first and foremost. So as I read this text, verses 11 through 22, I want you to take note, okay? And I encourage people, like, it's okay to write in your Bible, encourage you to look for words and phrases of how many god how many times that god remains what central to the entire plot he is the the primary subject he is the doer the agent the one who causes the action here is the word of the lord genesis chapter 6 we pick it up in verse 11 down through verse 22 <clears throat> Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. And the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth, Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side make it with lower second and third decks for behold i will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven everything that is on the earth shall die but i will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort 
shall come into you to keep them alive. Also, take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. The word of the Lord. And I don't know if you picked up on it. Did you pick up on it? The, these words and phrases you notice, and God saw, and God said, I have determined, I will destroy, I will bring, I will establish, make an ark, make rooms, make a roof. T today we're going to look at not just the design, the plan of what Noah was to build. In a sense, we're given blueprints here that God is laying out. But far more importantly, we're going to look at why this ark needs to be built in the first place and how is God going to use this gigantic monstrosity to save mankind and ultimately preserve life that he has created. And lastly, briefly, we will consider what, how Noah demonstrates something for us. He models for us what obedience looks like and what faith looks like. He has faith in God's plan and how we are called to have the same faith in God's plan. Although, praise God, we are not called to build an ark. I couldn't build a birdhouse and so there is what? There is good news here. A reminder for us to obey God and to trust God. Why? Because he is always, always, always good to his word. And God has a plan. Let me tell you this. It's a good plan, although you can be assured of this. Rarely, if ever, is it going to be an easy plan. Now, as I mentioned briefly last Sunday, the section of Genesis 6 through 9 will be the longest narrative of any one person up to this point. And it's important because it's in this, as we talked about, decreation and recreation portion that serves as a centerpiece for history up to this point. Kenneth Matthew explains how this section provides an interpretive bridge between the shadowy past before the flood and the nearer, more comprehensive era of the patriarchs following the deluge. There's so much that we don't know prior, and then what? It's like a zeroing in on the details that God gives to us from this point forward. Well, why is this important? Because today we need to see for ourselves how is a soul saved from destruction, and we need to see what instruction on the doctrine of salvation when Noah was given what? <clears throat> Did you pick up on this? He was given directions, but there's not a lot of details there. He was given commands, but there doesn't seem to be a lot of clarification. He was given promises, but up to this point, he was given very little proof of those promises. Can I be just gut honest here? And maybe I'm not alone. I would want the rainbow before the flood, not after it. God, give me some proof. Give me some sign, and I will trust you. 
I'll go get all the gopher wood you want, although I have no idea what gopher wood is. And God says what? No, 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 no. You trust me, and I will give you the proof. Isn't that, isn't that interesting how we are called to live our lives every single day? There's only two points to this morning's message. The first point is based off of three very clear statements that God makes. I have determined to make an end to all flesh. I will destroy them with the earth. I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth. Judgment of God awaits. Therefore, point number one is what? Simply the ark of salvation. Okay, here we go. It is no surprise today that when people hear and they read of a universal flood and they hear and read of Noah's Ark, they quickly dismiss the literal and escape to what I call the shadow lands of mere mythology. Or they categorize it very quickly as what? Virtually impossible. You're telling me what they claim there's millions of species of animals. Regardless of how big you build the ark, it will never hold them all, and it certainly won't hold all the food that they're about to eat for an entire year. As the rains, what? Come as the floodwaters rise and recede. So get ready for this. Get ready for the world as it endlessly seeks to debunk and deface biblical truth. Like it or not, okay, this is what people do. Hmm, Noah's Ark, universal flood, and they Google it, and up at the top of the list is going to be, like it or not, this is how people get their information from Wikipedia. At the top of that, you will read this, and I quote, Despite numerous reports of ark sightings, referred to as Ararat anomaly, and rumors, no scientific evidence of the ark has emerged. Searches for Noah's ark are considered by scholars an example of pseudo-archaeology, also known as alternative archaeology, fringe archaeology, fantastic archaeology, cult archaeology and spooky archaeology is the interpretation of the past by people who are not professional archaeologists and who reject or ignore the accepted data gathering and analytical methods of the discipline end quote allow me to interpret for you if you today hold to a literal universal flood if you today hold to what? Noah and the ark, then you are what? Here's the term. You're fringe, you're cult, and you're spooky. Let me interpret it. You're dumb. You're not one of those. Central Connecticut State University professor Kenneth Feeder, who is also an archaeologist, says, and I quote, as the flood story itself is unsupported by any archaeological evidence, it's not surprising that there is no archaeological evidence for the existence of an impossibility large boat 
dating 5,000 years ago, end quote. However, what happens here, as followers of Jesus, who believe that Scripture has been given directly by God, it is God-breathed and profitable for doctrine, instruction, correction. We believe what? We hold to a literal creation. We talked about that in Genesis chapter 1. Ex nihilo, what? Everything out of nothing through God's spoken word. We believe that. I believe that. We believe in a literal resurrection. Jesus was really, really dead. He wasn't like sort of dead, kind of dead, mostly dead. No, he was dead. We believe in death to life. We are well-versed with an all-knowing, all-powerful, sovereign creator and savior, and therefore we are committed with great confidence to the truthfulness of this story. And praise God, in his grace, he has given to us everywhere we look, little reminders, all the time. All the time. Two of our five grandchildren live in Kansas. If you look at Kansas on a map, it is almost perfectly in the middle of the continental United States. Depending upon where you measure from east coast to west coast, Atlantic to Pacific, it's 2,750 miles. Let me do the math for you on that. Denson and Noel live 1,375 miles from the Pacific or from the Atlantic. And do you know what we do every single time that Mimi and Pop-Up go to Kansas? Every time we do this, we go to a place called Castle Rock. It's 11 miles south of I-70, the most boring road you'll ever drive in all of human existence. And you know what we do when we get there? We go to this place with pillars of soft, white, porous, sedimentary, carbonite rock, or what you would call chalk, and we look for shark's teeth and seashells. Every single time we go, and every single time we go, we find them. Praise God that he gives to us these amazing little reminders where little Noel says, Papa, there's no sharks around here. Uh, No, 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 but there was. Let me tell you about Noah and the ark. Let's just look quickly, okay? Very quickly again. It's, it's, think about this. I, I, I had to put, (laughs) I had to put together a chair Okay, it was delivered in a box. And that's like a nightmare to me when it arrives at the house in a box. Like, that doesn't look like a chair. And as you open the box, there's like 70 pages of instruction on how to put this chair together. You can come on my front porch and sit on my chair, and it's still a little wobbly. Sorry. And yet, this entire project, the entire description, is 75 words. Imagine building, building this. And here's your instruction. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark. Cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of it, of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. Its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark. Finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the side in its side. Door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. That's it. 75 words. I counted them twice. Compare that to the owner's manual of how to put together a chair that sits on your front porch. 
So let's consider for a moment the data that is given to us. Go for a wood. There's one thing almost all commentators agree on. Almost all, and let me give you a hint, they never agree on one another. And almost all commentators agree on this. Quote, there is nothing certain that is known about gopher wood. It is the only time that this phrase is used in all of Scripture. Derek Kidner writes, it's probably square timber is a guess. More plausible, it's conjecture, is cypress wood. Andrew Steinman agrees with the above statements in writing. Gopher wood is mentioned only here in the Old Testament. It probably refers to a type of cedar or pine. So that's all we know. Make it of gopher wood. Okay. Cubit. The length of the ark is 300 cubits. Its breadth is 50 cubits. And its height's 30 cubits. Wonderful. What's a cubit? Not surprisingly... Commentators do not agree on this. There's some disagreement. Why? Because Babylonians had a, a cubit that measured approximately 20 inches. The Egyptians and the Hebrews both had two cubits, one slightly smaller, one slightly larger, anywhere from 17 and a half inches to 24 inches. So they estimate a cubit to be about 18 inches from the top of your tallest finger to your elbow, approximately. The NIV actually translates it to 450 feet by 75 feet by 45 feet. Clearly what? This is a big boat. It is larger than any other vessel that had ever been built in its day. As a matter of fact, it wasn't until the SS Great Eastern that was built in 1858. 1858. That anything was larger than that. Regardless of its size and carrying capacity, I will lean on the Lord's design for it to be sufficient. Long before trucks and cranes and chainsaws, Noah and his sons had enough work to keep them busy for a century. Go get of the birds according to their kinds, the animals according to their kinds, every keeping thing of the ground according to its kind. What is this word kind? If it corresponds to the modern classification of family, the maximum is what? There's 700. If it's species, obviously it would be much larger, higher of a number, but not beyond the ark's capacity. James Montgomery Boyce made this very wise observation. When we think of the animals in the ark, we tend to automatically think of the hippopotamus, the giraffe, and the elephant, which were all there. However, the average land mammal is smaller than a sheep. Since 240 sheep fit in one railroad car, and it's estimated that the ark had an equivalent capacity of 569 railroad cars. Calculations show that the animals to be saved would fit into approximately half, 50% of the ark's capacity, leaving plenty of room for people, food, water, storage, and other things. Author John Morris wrote a book called The Ark on Ararat, and he noted this. Such simple calculations are certainly not beyond the abilities of scoffers. 
What does seem to be beyond them is the willingness to try to see if the biblical story is feasible. Again, what? Many people doubt and prepare for this, the literal existence of the ark. And yet there's actually numerous reports from ancient travelers and writers over the years. Later on, we will see in chapter 8, it is clear that the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. Traditionally, it's considered to be in the eastern Anatolia region of Turkey. Just just bear with me for a moment. Consider this. Babylonian historian Rosas wrote in 275 B.C., 275 years before the birth of Christ. Rosa says this, but of this ship that grounded in Armenia, some part still remains in the mountains of the Gorydines. And some get pitched from the ship by scraping it off and they use it for amulets or good luck charms. First century Jewish historian Josephus says this, of this ark, the Armenians show relics of the ark to this day. In A.D. 180, Theophilus of Antioch says the remains of the ark are to this day seen in the Arabian mountains. A monastery of St. Jacob, several miles up the Ahura Gorge on higher reaches of Ararat, was built, and yet it was destroyed by an earthquake in 1840, and its existence goes back to early centuries of Christian era, which established a mark to to mark the site and preserve the relics of the ark. 1876, a distinguished British statesman and author, Viscount James Bryce, reported to have climbed Ararat, finding a four-foot-long piece of hand-hewn wood at the height of over 13,000 feet. 1936, another young British archaeologist, Hardwick Knight, was hiking across Ararat, Ararat when he discovered interlocking hand-tooled timbers at 14,000 feet. In 1943, Stars and Stripes newspaper reported that, what? World War II American aviators often flew over Ararat en route from the U.S. air base in Tunisia, Tunisia, Two pilots saw and photographed something that they believed to be and looked like an ark. In 1955, Russian aviator Vladimir Roskovitsky, stationed in South Russia near the Turkish border, was a test pilot for the Russian Air Force when he and his co-pilot flew over Ararat and reported on the edge of a retreating glacier what he described as a boat the size of a battleship. He wrote, and I quote, It was grounded on the shore of a lake with a quarter of its end sticking out of the water and three quarters still submerged. It had been partly dismantled on one end near the front and on the other side, a great door, nearly 20 feet square. But the door was gone. We could go on. We could go on. There are dozens more. And yet what? Debate it and doubt it by the skeptics. Or what? Certain and most sure for those who trust in a sovereign God. Now I have no doubt that as Noah and his sons were working for what? Decades, a century, 
it's debated exactly how long that, that as they were working, they kept these words, they kept this promise in their mind. Second point, we see the covenant of salvation in verse 18. I will establish my covenant with you. You shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you. And no doubt, this story is grim. A tidal wave of death. And yet we will see here in the midst of God's strictest judgment, there is still love and grace. We began our morning by singing of God's goodness. And how do we see his goodness in the midst of that destruction? There was a plan of protection for his people from the wrath to come. And we see this in this promise, in this word covenant. Yes, there is violence. And yes, there is wickedness all around. Even Noah, who described as a righteous man, clearly was not perfect. And yet we see this picture of God saying to Noah, what? You keep your eyes on me. And I'm going to make a way for you. I'm going to make a way for you and your family to be protected and spared from this judgment. To be spared from my coming wrath. And what does he invite them? Come into this ark and you will be protected. You will be provided for. And it's in this picture of a covenant that God's love for Noah and his family offering protection from the judgment that is to come for all humanity. Ultimately what? It's the same judgment that you and I deserve. It's the same what wrath that we deserve to be under. So what do we do with this? Like why is this here? In this verse, we are seeing a picture of God's love for us in Christ. Hold on to that. In this verse, in this text, in many ways you could argue it's not really a children's story. We see a picture of God's love for us in Christ. Think of this. Anyone who will trust in him can what? Come into the ark, so to speak. Revelation 22, verse 17. Whosoever will may come. Acts chapter 2, verse 21. Acts chapter 10 and verse 13 says exactly the same thing. Whosoever will may come. And we see what? Just as, as Noah's family is brought into the ark to be saved from God's wrath, the blood of Christ can cover you from the wrath to come that we deserve as sinners. Just as the ark was a refuge, so is the cross of Jesus a refuge for us. I appreciate the ministry, and when I have had the privilege to visit in Kentucky, the the answers in Genesis, life-size replica of the ark that was built. And, and I began to think about that and, and do the research and crunch the numbers. 700 people for seven years spent $120 million to build a replica of the ark. And I think that's, that's commitment. Like, like that's, the, they're in why? 
So that, so that very clearly, and if you go there, you see very clearly, so that one message is made clear. That you will see that what? Just as there was only one door for Noah and his family to enter so that they can be saved from the flood, it is everywhere. It is clearly stated that there is salvation only in Christ Jesus. Jesus himself says in John chapter 10, verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Now, no, no, just think about this. Knowing every single one of us are sinful. Every single one of us have turned at some point from God. Every one of us deserve the just wrath of God. Every one of us deserves to die and suffer eternal separation and punishment. But Jesus made a way for us to be delivered from being under that judgment. He has provided what? A safe place through the shedding of his blood on our behalf. Romans chapter 10 makes it very clear. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be safe. The greatest news in all the world. What, why? Why is this important? Why do we spend time on this? Lastly, because of this verse, we are to give our lives to the spreading of his grace. Not give like a tiny little bit. Like God, you can have me from Sunday at 9 to 10.30. He better finish up soon. No, that's not what we see. So that we give everything. Every beat of our heart is a gift of God's grace. Every breath of your lungs. God sustained you through the night as you slept. You were clueless. You had no idea what was going on. And his mercies are new today so that we live what? Sharing of God's grace. Pastor Aaron read this morning and I whispered to Wendy, I said, honey, he, he, he took my verse. He, he read, he's reading my verses here. And she said, read it again. They already forgot what he read. Listen, just, just a portion of this. You realize that there is coming judgment. We know that rainbow, what? It's not going to happen through a flood. It'll happen through fire. Again, Matthew chapter 24. It says this in verse 37. And as were the days of Noah so will be the coming of the Son of Man. I told you it's okay to write in your Bibles. Underline, so will be. Three words, three words. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, they were marrying, giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. Here it is. Underline this. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. You do realize what's coming. And as Pastor Aaron read, we, we don't know when that was. Will be. We do not know when that will be. We're not given the details. I want more details from this story. God, why do we, why, why do we let's go for wood. Like, why are we not given more details? 
And yet I'm struck with this. I'm struck with this. The very last phrase that we read in Genesis chapter 6, verse 22, and Noah did all that God commanded him. I don't like the size of that cubit. I think it should be, no, 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 he did it all. I don't like gopher wood. It's really hard to work with. No, he did it all. And I wonder how hard it is for us to kind of parse and pick pieces of scripture. Like, I like that about God, but I don't like that. No, no, we are to do it all according to his word. And think about this. Not only were, were he and his three sons, and I'm sure what? That, that their wives were picking up a hammer on occasion. And it says that Noah, in 2 Peter talks about this, that he was a preacher of righteousness. Not only is he building the ark, but he's telling every single person, he says, what the heck are you doing? He says, let me tell you this. God's judgment is coming. And I'm sure that they probably called him, what, fantastical, spooky, They called him every single name in the book. You are totally, totally crazy. Why don't you just join the party with us? He did everything that God commanded and is a preacher of righteousness, warning of God's pending judgment. Let me me leave you with this question. How are you doing on sharing with others the truth, the whole counsel of Scripture? I'm, I'm just guessing, and I don't, I don't want to add, but if, if, if we have a hard time, and I'm, I'm, hard, I'm like, how do we, if we're having a hard time serving in children's church, then I can pretty much assure you there's not a lot, of, like, we're warning people of God's coming judgment and wrath out there. I can assure you, if, if, we're, if we can't do, like, this is, like, easy, this is, like, elementary steps here, If we're not doing this, there's not a lot of preaching of righteousness that's going on out there. And let me remind you of this. It's not just one person's job. It's not just the elder's job. It's not just pastor's job. It's all of our responsibility to obey everything and to warn everyone. And we get to, we get to, we get to have a tiny little part of God's perfect promise, perfect plan. Father, we love you and we admit and confess that we desperately fall short, but we are so thankful for your patience with us and mostly we are thankful for the fact that Jesus did the work that we couldn't do. There's no need for an ark to be built because the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ protects us from coming wrath. And God, with this good news, may you embolden us like never before to live righteous lives in faith and obedience, telling others of God's great grace. We ask this in his name. Amen.